Good morning, my name is Kyle. If you have a Bible, turn it to the text that Joyce just read. As you are turning it there, I'd like to remind you of what happened in 1961. It's 1961, and it's the summer, and the Green Bay Packers have just started training camp. Earlier that year, in February, they gave away the lead in the Super Bowl to the Philadelphia Eagles. So they're coming back to training camp, and they're anticipating learning new tricks, new tactics, advancing their game in ways uh, that are going to secure the Super Bowl for them in the next year. Uh, As they're doing so, uh, Vince Lombardi famously walks up into training camp, grabs a a football, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Am I going too fast? From then on, Vince Lombardi started every training camp by teaching professional athletes the fundamentals of the game. And he started with that statement. He did not assume any knowledge. He did not assume anything. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. Am I going too fast? And he started from there. Well, as a church, we have started going through the fundamentals of our faith, our core convictions and core values, the things that are fundamental to us and that drive us. It's our football, if you will. And so if you are visiting and you are just coming to this church, then this is a great time to be here because you get to hear about the things that are most important to us and that we value the most. We started this series last week by talking about the most core conviction of all, and that is the power of the gospel to change anything and everything. And because that core conviction is so important and so primary, Uh, to them all. We're going to spend two weeks on it, and we're going to look at that again this week. So let me pray for us. God, we need need Jesus, and we need to see him in the gospel, and Lord, I need your help. I always need your help, but I feel it now, and I'm thankful for that. And I ask that you would make this sermon more than anything I can make it. Have mercy on your people. In doing so, I pray. Amen. Well, Paul writes in Colossians 2, 6, As you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. A couple years ago, we taught my daughter Neve how to ski. She is four years old when we taught her. And when you teach little kids how to ski, one of the things that they do is the first thing they do is they put a a bungee cord in between the two skis so that their skis don't get split out or they don't fly down the hill. And then they teach them to ski in the shape of a pizza, a wedge. Um, But as the Kids advance uh, by the second day. Neve was advancing pretty well. I mean, you know, she does have a pretty stellar father. And she burned the worm. Burning the worm is getting rid of the bungee cord. She got rid of the bungee cord because eventually you have to advance on if you want to ski. And you have to move out of just having a wedge all the time. Because when I try to ski with her and keep a wedge all the time, it gets really tiring really fast. You have to learn to turn. 
Uh, I think a lot of Christians and a lot of us approach uh, the Christian life that way. We want to know, how do you start off? Maybe some of you are here, and that's you. And we start off by recognizing that there is nothing in us and nothing in this world that could save us, but everything that we need is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come and we realize that we cannot achieve salvation, that we cannot fix ourselves, that we cannot qualify ourselves, but that everything, anything and everything that we need, every solution of this world is found not in this world, but from an invasion from outside. The power of God in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we accept that good news. But then we want to know, how do I grow? How do I get on in the Christian life? How do I advance? How do I burn the worm, if you will? And, um, and that's only natural to ask that question, to want to know how you grow as a follower of Christ. You know, churches in England have this tradition that make it really easy for you to understand maybe how to do this. Um, churches in England have what's known as a gospel service and then a regular service. The gospel service happens at 6 o'clock at night. Uh, one of the churches that does this um, uh, describes it this way on their website. They say, you are warmly invited to our evening service on Sunday at 6 p.m., which we dedicate to explaining the Bible's good news, the gospel. This service would be most helpful to attend if you are new to the Christian faith or are searching for answers to life's biggest questions. In other words, if you are new to the Christian faith, or you're searching, if you're a new believer or a non-believer, then, then this gospel service that explains the gospel is for you. But there's another service that happens on Sunday morning for those who want to grow deeper and burn the worm, as you will, that want to go more into the depths of the Christian faith. And some of that's you here. You've been accepted the gospel, and then you just feel stuck, and you're like, how do I grow? What do I do? How do I move forward? How do I go deeper as a follower of Jesus Christ? How do I advance on to other things? And what things should I advance on to? And there are lots of answers that people have given to that question, and most of them are actually here in this text. One of the answers that people say that we need to move on to after we start in the gospel is that we begin in the gospel and by receiving the good news, and then what we need to move on to is some kind of life code for self-improvement. Now, there are tons of codes in this world. You can find parenting codes, you can find environmental codes, you can find dress codes, you can find codes for manners, you could find codes for diet and exercise. Some of these codes are religious, like get up every morning and read your Bible for 10 minutes. Some of these are not so religious, like, you know, be tolerant, be inclusive, be non-judgmental, be true to yourself, be authentic. And whatever you do, whatever you do, please, 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 please stay away from gluten. I, there, there are all kinds of codes out there that we have today. Uh, and these codes are all trying to regulate our behavior to make people better. And the Colossians, they 
they thought that this might be a way in which they could move on, advance in the Christian life. Verse 20 says that they are submitting to regulations. And what do those regulations look like? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, verse 21. And many regulations, many codes out there boil down to that. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and you can advance in life. They will give you a better life. I grew up at a Christian high school, or Christian school all the way through, and in that Christian school, um, I learned a lot of things, and I gained a lot of things. I'm actually about to go back there for my 20-year reunion. Yes, I feel very old because I've been out of high school more than I was alive when I graduated, but we don't think about that too long. Um, Just remember eternal life and mortal bodies. There's a resurrection of the dead, and at that school, one of the things that uh, I got, I got great Bible knowledge, I have an incredible community that came out of it, like an incredible community um, that it's given me during that time and after. But I would say that one of the things that I was taught there, the big message that I was taught was, uh, yes, accept Jesus, have some kind of conversion experience, walk down an aisle, and then after that, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and that's how you get on in life. That's basically what I took. And there are lots of codes and lots of Christians who will think that that's the way forward. And it seems like the way forward. It seems natural, but there are only two problems with it. First, the first problem is that unfortunately it doesn't really work. Look at verse 23. Paul says that these things, these codes, they have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they're impotent. It, it seems like they work, but they're impotent. It's, it's, like, um, it's like those trick birthday candles. If you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had the trick birthday candles? And you go up to the trick birthday candles, and you blow, and you think, this should work. This should blow out the candle. And you're like, and then they come back. And you blow it out again, and they come back. And then everybody's laughing, and you blow it out again, and they come back. And then you're like, come on, I'm over this, right? I'm 20. Uh, That's how these regulations are. They appear to work at first. They seem like they'd work, but they don't. That's why Martin Luther said, um, he he, he described this uh, in terms of of gout, our sin sickness. And and he had this, this phrase where he said, look, the church is there, and the cardinals are there, and the bishops are there, and what they're supposed to be doing is curing people's sickness. And then he says this, but the gout laughs at the hand of the physician. What he's saying is this, your remedy that you're, that you're suggesting, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, yeah, my gout's still there, and it's laughing at the remedy. It's those birthday candles that keep on flashing back up and laughing and laughing because it's of no value against the deeper, deeper, deeper desires and dispositions and sin that so entangles us. That's why, by the way, some have you ever noticed some of the gnarliest sin comes out of some of the most legalistic, straight-laced communities? Because the gout laughs at the hand of the physician. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are 
of no value. Well, if, if life codes don't work, I mean, that's one reason why life codes don't work. By the way, the other reason is that they always enslave us to the judgments of others. Notice that Paul keeps talking about uh, the Colossians being completely driven by the judgments of others. That's why he has to say to him in verse 16, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink or with regard to religious festival or new moon celebration or Sabbath day. Or then in verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship and angels disqualify you. Verse 20, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules, the rules of the world? Why are you so driven by the verdict of others? You see, as soon as you adopt some kind of code, then you have to keep up that code. And then you are under and enslaved to that code's demands and always feeling this pressure of, do I measure up? Am I accepted and acceptable? And it happens in so many ways. And the symptoms are, are multiple. They look like that nervous feeling, and I know, I know some of you students can relate to this, that nervous feeling when you found out the professor returned the grades, and you back, go back and you want to get your grade, and you see it, and it's not quite what you were hoping for, and then you kind of feel embarrassed in front of the professor, right, because you didn't measure up. It, it looks like it looks like when you get the job review or somebody sends the email and they say, well, I want to meet, and you start getting nervous and fearful. It's that, it's that kind of, uh, it's that defensiveness that happens when, when someone compliments someone else and it feels like in a threat to you because you're not measuring up to that standard. We are enslaved to the judgments of others. And Paul says, why do you do that? You've died to that world. You've died to those rulers. That is not the way. See, they are looking at what other people thought of them as a way to assess their acceptability before God. There's this great story of the um, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon who had, a, who had a pastor's college and pastors would go and they would learn how to be pastors there like a seminary and they were on a morning break one time and they were walking around the garden and they were strolling around the garden he's talking to one of the students and some of the students are there and this one student like bust out a cigar at the pastor's college at 10 a.m. and Spurgeon looks at him and he says huh smoking before noon and, uh, and the person uh, takes the cigar and he quickly puts it out. And then Sp Spurgeon goes, good idea. And he brings out a cigar and he it lights it up. And then he says, whatever you do, do it with full conviction. In other words, why are you letting me be the judge over you? Why are you letting me be the arbitrator over you? That only shows that that you're enslaved to the judgment and the verdict and the acceptability of others and not to the verdict of Jesus Christ. So, so life codes, they, they don't work. But if some people look to, to rules and life codes as the thing that is the key to growth as a disciple of Jesus Christ, other people look to radical experiences. 
Maybe it's take this course or go on this retreat. Maybe it's burn your CD collection. Uh, you haven't been to this. You haven't had this. Uh, for some people, it's, it's you need to get up in front of the church and, and be able to give this, this radical testimony of how, you know, you were way deep in the weeds and did all these things, and now you've come back. And if you don't have that experience and that radical experience, then I'm not sure. If you, if you just grew up never knowing a day where you didn't know your Savior and that you, your need of him and slowly growing in your understanding of that need and his provision, well, that's not really legitimate, Right? That's the kind of thing that, that they were being told, the Colossians. Or maybe it's ecstatic experiences, like, oh, have you spoken in tongues yet? You haven't done that yet. Verse 18, that's the kind of experiences that they were saying. Don't let anyone disqualify you, Paul says, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Uh, don't let anyone disqualify you because, because you haven't had this, this ecstatic worship, ex mystical worship experience. For some uh, Christians, it's the mystical worship experience. In our context, probably not as much, but we've got our other things, right? Our other experiences. When I was in, um, when I was in the UK, there were certain churches, and those churches, um, they looked at you with suspicion unless you had been to these premier boys camps called Ewan camps. And if you hadn't been to the UN camp, then it was not, uh, your pedigree was in question. Because if you hadn't learned the gospel there and experienced, had a conversion experience there, then could your conversion be credible? Not so sure. Uh, for others, what qualifies us for ministry is, is um, well, it's, it's being married and having kids and having that experience, right? That's why the majority of pastoral uh, application forms or whatever, postings, say married with kids. Or maybe, maybe, it's, um, maybe it's just you know, going through this course. But Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you because you haven't had these experiences. That's, that's not the way that you assess growth. It's not if you've preached to this many people or you knocked it out of the park or whatever. Well, if it's not radical experiences and not life codes, what about purification rituals? Maybe that'll do it. The people at Colossae are being told that they need to be circumcised if they want to come into the full experience of, of following Jesus Christ. And Paul has to remind them that, that they've experienced everything that circumcision represents. In verse 11, he says, In him you were also circumcised, with the circumcision made without hands, by the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. And when did this happen? He goes on, when you were baptized, being buried with him in baptism. You were connected to Jesus' once for all death and resurrection, the circumcision of Jesus Christ. Now, to understand what's going on here, why this would have been such a temptation, you have to understand that most of us aren't thinking, well, I really need to be circumcised to grow in my faith. But for them, I mean, you have to understand that for the Jew, and this is coming right out of the Jewish soil, for the Jew, circumcision was that which made one ritually acceptable before God and pure. It's what qualified one to serve before God. It's also the thing that they believed, that many Jews at this time believed, protected them from the evil that was out there in the world. If you can just be circumcised, then you can be protected from all that evil out there. 
Now, again, we, most of us, are not tempted to follow Old Testament rituals, though some are today. Some are today. But, but we do have our forms of ritual purity and cleansing that we go through, right? I mean, it's as simple as, I feel guilty for the sin that I did, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make up or atone for that sin by beating myself up about it for days. Or I'm going to put myself in the penalty box of the doghouse and not going to serve Jesus because I've disqualified myself until enough time passes where I think I can get out of my own purgatory that I've put myself in. Right? Or this sounding familiar to anyone. No, just me. We do this. Or if I, if I just have enough good deeds and enough self-denial and I'll, you know, I will, I will say no to these gifts that are being given because I just don't deserve them until I feel like I deserve them. They're all forms of trying to purify ourselves. And Paul says, why are you looking to other forms of purification? Even Old Testament biblical forms of purification, those things happen in Jesus Christ. So if we don't go, grow through a life code for self-improvement or radical experiences or purification rituals, what about maybe some kind of philosophy or ideology that we follow? That's another one that I think Christians uh, can think that maybe that's how we grow. That, that Christ then becomes a supplement to or the culmination of or the basis for some philosophy or ideology out there. That's what the Colossians were tempted to think. But verse 8, Paul says, don't think that way. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. But it's very easy to think that's how we go on. That's the way that I grow as a Christian. I, um, when I went off to college, uh, it was around 2000, I was, I was studying abroad, 2002, 2003, and I came back home, and I came back home, and I had some questions, and those questions just concerned, um, I was really wrestling with and just asking the question, does the, uh, the, Ira the Iraq invasion, does that actually meet the standards of just war theory in the Augustinian tradition? And I was just wrestling with that question, and I was talking about it, I kid you not, when I got home, I had pamphlets in my mailbox because people thought that I was abandoning the faith. I'm, I'm not kidding. People came up to me at dinner parties. They were like very concerned. They sent pamphlets to me because in their mind, if you don't hold this certain political ideology, then you are leaving Jesus. Now, that's a particular experience for me of a particular ideology. It can happen with any ideology. It, it can be Jesus plus capitalism and conservatism. It could be Jesus plus socialism and veganism. It can be a philosophy on education. It can be a philosophy on parenting. It can be a philosophy on di diet and exercise. There are so many philosophies and ideologies that we think, first I accept the gospel, and then I just grow in understanding this thing. And that's how I become a more thorough disciple of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, 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 no. 
Jesus doesn't sit well with the isms of the world. See to it that no one takes you captive. So how then? How do we grow as Christians? How do we carry on as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, you know, Paul answered the question at the very beginning of the passage. Did you see it? Verse 6? Or verse 8, rather? As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. See, we don't start off by receiving something and then move forward by achieving something. We don't start off by receiving all that Jesus has done and saying, I don't have anything in me, but you are everything. And then going on to say, and now that I've accepted that, I've got a lot in me. I mean, how did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? Was it by trusting in life codes to improve yourself? Do you say, look, Jesus, I've adopted these codes and done pretty well at them. When you received Jesus Christ as Lord, as Lord, was it because you presented some qualification based on rituals that cleansed you or ecstatic experiences that you had had, and you said, now let me into your kingdom? Was it by presenting a resume of these things? Was it because of how committed you are to an ideological cause, and you said, look, look at my CV. I am a part of these groups. How did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? Wasn't it that you didn't ask, what can I do? But that you looked at what had been done and you rested in and you relied upon that. Wasn't it by recognizing that there is absolutely nothing in you that could save you or that could qualify you before Jesus? But that his grace is everything. Righteousness for the unrighteous. Gift to those who are unqualified. Wasn't it by realizing that there is nothing in this world that could save this world, that all the other religions and isms and self-health methods and guilt management strategies are completely insufficient, but Jesus, Jesus is sufficient? That he can do it? Wasn't it by recognizing that, that there is righteousness outside of this world that is given as a gift, the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, and therefore your bank account does not make you righteous or your educational achievements make you righteous or your healthy marriage make you righteous or your obedient children or your race or your birth certificate or your social circle or your sense of humor or your work ethic or your moral pedigree or any other thing can fix you. But only Jesus. His life, his death, and his victorious resurrection on your behalf. See, wasn't it by recognizing that while everything in this world is insufficient, Jesus is sufficient for every need in this world. See, we don't need a philosophy because verse 9 says that in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, that he is God's wisdom. And we don't need some method to atone for our sin because verse 13 tells us that when we, we were dead in our trespass, 
In the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made us alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us all our trespasses, he canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And we don't have to trust in other people's verdicts or being acceptable before other people. Why? Because verse 15 says that all the things that we cower under in fear and shame, Jesus disarmed them. That's a really weak translation. The idea is that Jesus stripped those powers naked and paraded them around the city for what they were. Impotent. That the only verdict that matters, isn't that how you receive Jesus, that you realize that the only verdict that matters is not mine, not my parents, not my friends, not my bosses, but Jesus's. And he accepts me as righteous because of what he has done. And we don't need purification ritual like circumcision because everything that circumcision signified is found in him. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And then the gout does not laugh. Because it cuts us off from the old world because the problem is deeper. We have to die and raise again. But when we die and raise again and when we go into that new world and that new environment through baptism and union with Christ, guess what? We are protected from the powers of the evil age by clinging to him. That's why Paul writes in verse 20, if if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of this world, why, as you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Now, we have been cut off from the desires of the flesh, verse 23, by clinging to another. And so we don't need self-improvement strategies to grow. We need to cling to Jesus, verse 19. Our growth happens by holding fast to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with a growth that is from God and not from us. See, the good news of the gospel is that there's a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And that righteousness is not simply a righteousness that gives us a, a good status, and it does. It's a righteousness that is a transformative power. And that righteousness, too, is always and ever outside of us. I have been crucified with Christ in the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God, by clinging to and resting and relying upon the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's another's life at work in you. And so this is the gospel, that there is a saving power outside of us that we rest in and we rely upon, and we don't just start that way as Christians. We carry on that way as Christians every single day. So there's no gospel service for non and new Christians. Every service needs to be a gospel service. Because we all need the gospel, always and everywhere.
and we don't burn the worm. And this is our football. Cling to it. As you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Amen.